Do you guys ever like think about the time you decided to, you know, finally poke one of your mom's boobs because you didn't know if it'd like be like, I don't know, a sponge or like a water balloon or, or something? Uh, like, what are you talking about, Sarah? Yeah, like, that's that's a lot, Sarah. Yeah, like, I mean, obviously there's a story here, but I mean, Katie, like, I mean, you're only just back. I mean, is, uh, is it... Well, yeah. well, like, no, like, I appreciate the consideration and everything, but I mean, maybe, maybe this is what I need. Do I need a weird Sarah story to continue getting over the whole breakup thing i don't know well i mean yeah if you're if you're happy that like your mental state can like take it like so like none of you guys were sitting on your mom's lap age four while she's talking to i don't know one of your aunties and you're like okay i'm going for it i can't take the curiosity anymore so so there were other people there at the at the time. Yeah, like, you didn't even have the decency to poke your mom in the chest when she, like, wasn't entertaining other people? There's, like, a significant part of me that, like, hopes there's a photo of that day where, like, everyone's just, like, sitting on the couch, like, talking with drinks and, like, you're there staring at your mom's boobs like a total perv. No, but, like, little kid fingers be, like, pointy, Sarah. Like, that would have been real sore. Oh, no, yeah. Like, that was the biggest surprise. I really thought that it'd be, like, someone poking you in the leg or the ass cheek or something. Like, like noticeable, but not painful. This is by far the weirdest opening we've ever had. What, we're on air right now? <laughs> oh, yeah. you changed your seat and you can't see. Oh, I get it. Okay, this, this whole let's make Katie the producer to help her get over Dave thing, this is now amazing. I take back all of my complaining from but, earlier. But like, why? Why would I start that conversation just to fill time in the show? Like, why? Why would I do that? Exactly, Sarah. Why would you do that? <laughs> so... We, we're in agreement then, like, chick lit is just real lit. You know, I think we can all agree that we're building our first homes solely out of books by women. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, 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 and I think we can all agree that K.E. is just as into K-pop as me, even though she thinks she's too cool and, like, won't talk about it when her bloke is around. What is, what is you your K-pop and, like, romantic literature can both cure heartbreak. <sighs> That's what I'm talking about. Welcome to chick lit for life. <laughs> Sarah, like, it's it's nowhere near the weirdest thing you've ever said. Well, that that is true. Yeah, remember the time you went so hard in that interval training class that you peed? Well, I mean, I do now, so thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, that was sad. That was a sad situation. I don't know. Like, there is a weird sort of freedom in just being like, it's fine, it's fine. I'm just fully peeing right now. I will wash the shame off and change my pants and all will be well. Ah, uh, yes. I think uh, Deepak Chopra said that. I can I can see <laughs> where your confusion on that would come from, Kay. It's, uh, it's pretty clear that me changing my piss pants <laughs> and being a prisoner of the past are pretty similar <laughs> but um but yes um aside from my upsetting relationship with my own body and the bodies of those closest to me well i mean that's that's the title of your memoir right there <laughs> that's true <laughs> but all of that aside um today we celebrate the triumphant return of our beloved ms katie murphy Woo! welcome back katie oh dude no we're Jeez. so glad that like you went home to like look after yourself and everything but like it's pretty cool to have you back yeah Aww. like we missed your face katie like no one was around to tell me that like my coleslaw habit is problematic no i mean like <laughs> can we all just agree that putting coleslaw on pizza only encourages the hate mongering that like we see in the world today i mean like how can we move towards a more loving peaceful world when we've got grown-ass women out here putting coleslaw on a pepperoni pizza like it is madness <laughs> chloe and it must stop it's just so good to have you back so wholesome <laughs> but like it, it must be nice though to like have been at home to just like recharge yeah, for a while yeah, Katie. Like, it was like so i guess if folks didn't like hear the last show that this guy that like i was seeing or whatever Prick. No. Sorry. <laughs> no, like it's yeah this this guy that i was seeing he was on this other show with his mates and they were i don't know like just kind of like dude you don't you don't have no, to no 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 like we haven't had the chance to really talk about it so like we may as well like now like the whole thing the whole thing was that they were talking about people making like woke arguments on campus and they're kind of like i don't know ruining it for everybody or whatever and like somehow the fact that 
I'm like that and me and Dave were going out it came up and like he was like not sound about it and he kind of like dragged this show as well which is like really gross and like when I went and talked to him about it he was really like I don't know like talking down to me about it or something like like he needs to like teach me about how to take a joke and he was sort of making out that the stuff that he and his mates were talking about on their show was like really important and the thing is I'm pretty sure they were just diarrhea stories but like what what we talk about here is fluff and like a hobby it it did not make any sense we have not had any diarrhea stories on this show to my knowledge I mean we did kind of talk about Sarah peeing herself at the top of the show no do you know what that is hard hitting journalism I fully expect us to get a Pulitzer for that dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> obviously yeah obviously we're we're no longer a couple which you know it's 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 pretty shit but like um yeah I was pretty worn out from the whole thing so I went I went home to Galway for a while and then like getting looked after when you're after doing something big like that it's like so helpful like not having to worry about like I don't know getting something to eat or like having someone to like make you have a shower and like go for walks and stuff like dude i would have like been horrified if someone had said to me that i would need someone to remind me to shower but dude like it 100 percent was needed and it made such a difference whoa, 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 whoa. okay so when i don't take a shower for two days because i'm too lazy slash distracted it's me being gross sarah but when breakup katie does it it's romantic and understandable well i mean katie was first to show her in that situation so the grossness didn't last for long enough to transform from poetic heartbreak to just B.O. Ah, okay. So heartbreak plus time. Time smell equals gross. No, like seriously, we are going to ace that physics exam. Like they might like move us ahead in the year, dude. Oh, God. <laughs> but, uh, oh, are we going to do the thing? Yes, 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 yes. Katie, we are... So glad you're back and on your healing journey and everything. And to celebrate, we decided that we would take the time at the top of this episode to review the top five Katie Murphy chiclet for life theme tunes. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That was terrifying. Sorry. Like, but no, we were doing some gratitude work while you were gone. And one of the things we're like so grateful for is the work you've put into the music for this show over the past few years. You guys never stop giving me shit about how crap the early theme tunes were. Yeah, but that don't mean you didn't put loads of work into it, Katie. It takes a lot of work to make them that shit. (laughs) No, (laughs) Like, we were talking about our favorite ones because, like, you used to make a different one every episode. And, like, that's a serious amount of work, man. Yeah, so we all chose our favorites. Oh, my God. This is going to be torture. So, starting at number five, Sarah's personal favorite, Series 3, Episode 4, Convenience Store Woman. Like, I think we can all agree that Irishamase, or welcome in Japanese, transitioning into that ambient trance situation was actual life. So true, Sarah. Moving on to number four, Chloe's personal favorite, Series 4, Episode 3, Queenie. That's what I'm talking, Bill. It's gonna drop, girls. It's gonna drop. Like, I mean, I know this is mainly a mishmash of Afrobeat garage band loops, but like, I want to go out dancing right now, girl. Never a truer word spoken, Chloe. Now, number three, my personal favorite, series four, episode one, The Tainted. I mean, Irish music merging into an Indian song from the time in question, the early 20th century, because that's when and where the book is set. I cannot, I cannot, you guys. Oh, remember Devu that listens to our show in Mumbai? She recognized the song? Uh, Devu in college now, she not in Mumbai no more, Clee. Like, get your facts straight. She out there living her life right now. Oh, man, like, we have met some seriously cool people doing this. Right? Well, anyway, moving on. Number two, Clee's favorite, Series 5, Episode 1, Ruby Fruit Jungle. (laughs) 
introduction to like what the book felt like to read you know it was just yeah I really remembered that one Oh, the city life and stuff, yeah, it's really cool. So nice, Katie, thank you, man. Yeah, I love this one too. Aww. But yes, we have all given our individual favourites. Now, as a group, we all chose our all-time favourite. The original, the OG Katie Murphy tune. Series 1, Episode 4, Angels. And anybody out there... Please do not adjust your headset. You are hearing this correctly. Y'all didn't think this was gonna make a difference to y'all, huh? Y'all didn't think we was gonna keep this going, life. I can't believe, I can't believe you guys dug that out. Dude, <laughs> not Michael Chiklis. Chiklis might be the best thing you've ever said, like ever. I feel so attacked right now. Katie, it's so good. Yeah, like you are blindingly white, Katie. It just it makes me so happy. <laughs> so white. No, but like I genuinely have low-key like anxiety over that. Like I had no idea what I was doing at the start. I still have no idea what I'm doing. Like it's really embarrassing that people like go back to the beginning and listen to that shit oh dude no like that's what progression looks like yeah like a lot of the early stuff is like out of tune and none of us can sing and the bass is too heavy and so i should stop talking like, what is wrong with you but like we're just saying katie it's pretty cool what you were able to put together and continue to put together and we appreciate you exactly jesus sarah <laughs> i'm so sorry you guys <laughs> no it's fine thank you this is really sound you guys but yes, no we we had better get on course because we are gonna forget entirely that we have a book to talk about oh my god yeah, yeah. let's get started <laughs> so our book for this episode is melinda lowe's insanely romantic last night at the telegraph club and to make up some time let's get some introductions out of the way so Melinda Lowe is the New York Times bestselling author of seven novels, including most recently A Scatter of Light. Her novel Last Night at the Telegraph Club won the National Book Award, the Stonewall Book Award, the Asian slash Pacific American Award for Literature, a Michael L. Prince honor and was an L.A. Times Book Prize finalist. Her books have received 15 starred reviews and have been finalists for multiple awards, including the Andre Norton Award and the Lambda Literary Award. She has been honored by the Carnegie Corporation as a great immigrant. Melinda's short fiction and non-fiction has been published by the New York Times, NPR, Autostraddle, The Horn Book and multiple anthologies. She lives in Massachusetts with her wife and their dog. And to take a look at the book, that book, it was about two women and they fell in love with each other. And then Lily asked the question that had taken root in her that was even now unfurling its leaves and demanding to be shown the sun. Have you ever heard of such a thing? 17-year-old Lily Hu can't remember exactly when the question took root, but the answer was in full bloom the moment she and Kathleen Miller walked under the flashing neon sign of a lesbian bar called The Telegraph Club. America in 1954 is not a safe place for two girls to fall in love, especially not in Chinatown. Red Scare paranoia threatens everyone, including Chinese Americans like Lily. With deportation looming over her father, despite his hard-won citizenship, Lily and Kath risk everything to let their love see the light of day. Oh my god, I'm so excited. This is like incredible writing, you guys. It was so funny watching you try to hold that in. I thought I was going to explode. (laughs) No, you're right though. Like, I mean, I cared so much about these characters. Not for real, like, and like it was all like... Yes, yeah, so like real like you were like right there in the middle of it all <laughs> oh my god can we just keep going and do the excerpt i like, can't wait you guys <laughs> you are so adorable <laughs> i think you are gonna have to do it for a search i don't see how we cannot have you be the person to read this <laughs> i will try as always but particularly right now <laughs> to deliver the excellence required of a book this amazing you guys you are so cute man you are so cute seriously i can't i just can't with you no 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 no. okay okay. 
The Miss Chinatown contestants were clustered together behind a canvas screen near the stage. They hadn't been there when Lily Hu walked past the same area 15 minutes earlier on her way to the bathrooms, and there was something startling about their sudden appearance. Lily was 13, and she couldn't remember if she'd seen a group of Chinese girls like this before, in bathing suits and high heels, their hair and makeup perfectly done. They looked so American. She slowed down. The pageant was about to start, and she'd miss the introductions if she lingered here. She should go back to her family's picnic blanket on the lawn in front of the stage, but she dawdled, trying not to appear as if she was staring. There were a dozen girls, and their bathing suits were white or black, sea green or forest green, one piece or two. Their arms and legs were bare beneath the hot noonday sun, their gleaming black hair curled and pinned in place. Bright red lipstick on their mouths, scarlet polish on their fingernails, smooth, tanned skin. Each girl a variation on a theme. Their high-heeled shoes were sinking into the grassy ground. Every so often, one of them lifted her foot to make sure her heel wasn't stuck in the damp earth, like the slender-legged foals in Bambi learning to walk. The girl in the black two-piece bathing suit wore particularly tall black heels, and as she shifted in place, the right heel stuck in the ground. Her foot rose out of the shoe, revealing an ugly red mark where the back of the shoe had rubbed against her Achilles tendon. The girl frowned, tugging again at the shoe with her toes, but this time her entire foot slipped out. The round pinkness of her bare heel, the intimate arch of her foot, toes flexing in mid-air. Lily had to avert her eyes as if she were watching a woman take off her dress in public. A microphone hummed on and a man declared in English, Welcome to the third annual Chinese American Citizens Alliance Independence Day Picnic and Miss Chinatown Contest. Applause and cheers rose from the audience gathered on the lawn. An older woman carrying a clipboard began to herd the girls into a line behind the screen, preparing them to climb the stairs onto the stage. Lily turned away and hurried down the path to the lawn. She spotted her family toward the middle of the crowd, gathered together on the scratchy old army blanket stenciled with her father's name, Captain Joseph Hu, in white paint. They were surrounded by other families, all lazing beneath the clear blue sky, all facing the stage setup in front of the main lodge. Lily saw her mother stand, pulling four-year-old Frankie to his feet. Her father, still sitting on the blanket, handed Mama her bag, and then she and Frankie began to make their way to the path along the edge of the lawn. Uncle Francis and Aunt Judy, seated next to Lily's father, watched the stage with mixed expressions. Uncle Francis was absorbed. Aunt Judy looked sceptical. There was no sign of Lily's older brother, Eddie, and she guessed that he was still off playing with his friends. Lily met her mother on the path. I'm taking Frankie to the bathroom, Mama said. There's still some fried chicken left. Someone set off firecrackers as Lily headed across the lawn. The summer sun was sinking hot and dry into her black hair. It was real summertime weather here in Los Altos. Popsicle weather, unlike cool and foggy San Francisco. All day, Lily had been shedding the layers she'd put on that morning in their Chinatown flat, and by now she was only wearing a short-sleeved blouse and a cotton skirt and wishing she had worn sandals instead of shoes and socks. When she reached her family, she knelt down to claim the last piece of fried chicken from the basket. Her friend Shirley Lum was sitting nearby with her family and she gestured at Lily to join them. Can I go sit with Shirley? Lily asked her father, who nodded as the MC started to introduce all the pageant contestants. Their names rang out over the lawn as Lily straightened up, drumstick in hand. Miss Elizabeth Ding. Miss May Chin Eng. Lily joined Shirley on their blanket, an old white tablecloth, and curled her legs to one side, tucking her skirt over her knees like a lady. Shirley leaned towards her and said, I like the third one best, the one in the yellow two-piece. Miss Violet Toy. Miss Naomi Wu. Lily took a bite of the chicken. The skin was still crispy, the meat juicy and salty. She cupped her hand beneath it to catch the crumbs that fell. On stage, the girls were walking across one by one. They sashayed in their heels, causing their hips to sway back and forth. A few whistles rose from the audience, followed by laughter. I think the girl in the black bathing suit is a little too flashy, Shirley said. What do you mean? Lily asked. Look at her. She's acting like she's a Hollywood star or something. The way she's standing. But they're all standing like that. No, she's doing it more, as if she thinks she's perfect. The girl in black didn't look any different from the others to Lily, but she remembered the sight of her naked foot in the air and was strangely embarrassed for her. The contestants were all smiling, hands cocked on their hips, shoulders proudly held back. The MC explained that they had to circle the stage again for the judges to assess their face and figure, and the audience clapped some more. The judges were seated at a table on the ground in front of the stage. 
Lily couldn't see them, but she had heard all about them. Two were Chinatown leaders. One was a prominent local Caucasian businessman and one was a woman, the Narcissus Queen from Honolulu, Hawaii. Lily had seen her taking photographs with fans earlier. She was wearing a pretty floral print dress and a big pink flower in her hair. Look, my favourite's going around now, Shirley said. The girl in the yellow two-piece was taller than the others and her figure was curvier. She had wavy black hair pulled back with combs, revealing sparkling drop earrings. As she crossed the front of the stage, whistles rose from the audience. When she reached the far side, she paused, bending one knee and glancing back over her shoulder coquettishly. The audience erupted in applause and Shirley joined in enthusiastically. Lily, still holding her half-eaten drumstick, looked away from the stage uncomfortably. She didn't understand the shrinking feeling inside her, as if she shouldn't be caught looking at those girls. She saw a group of older Chinatown men nearby, sitting casually and smoking as they studied the contestants. One grinned at another, and there was something off-putting about the expression on his face. He made an odd gesture with his left hand, as if he were squeezing something, and the other man chuckled. Lily dropped her gaze to her fried chicken, and the bone of the drumstick reminded her of the girl in black's Achilles tendon, rubbed red from the hard edge of her shoe. Dot. Dot, dot. Let's go up on the stage, Shirley said conspiratorially, taking Lily's hand to pull her across the lawn. We shouldn't. Don't you want to see what it's like? It felt dangerous, rebellious, but only moderately so. The afternoon sunlight was golden and heavy now. The show was over, and the spectres were packing up and preparing to go home. All right, Lily agreed, and Shirley squealed in response. They almost ran the last few yards, and then they were at the bottom of the steps, and Shirley came to an abrupt stop. Lily bumped into her. Just imagine, Shirley said dreamily, what it must be like to be Miss Chinatown. There had been controversy when the judges declared the winner today. Lily had heard a faint chorus of boos amid the applause and she saw the winning girl's face go pink with both pride and dismay. A man had shouted at the stage in English, she looks like a pin-up, not a Chinese girl. Lily had eyed him surreptitiously. He was sitting near the man who had made the lewd gesture, who then leaned towards him and slapped him on the shoulder. They had begun an animated conversation that Lily couldn't quite understand. They were speaking Toishanese, though she made out the words for beauty and woman. Lily, aren't you coming? Shirley had bounded up the steps and Lily realised she had fallen behind. She put a hand on the railing. It wobbled and quickly went up the stairs. The microphone and its stand had been removed, leaving the stage entirely bare. Shirley walked towards the centre, sashaying like the contestants as she pretended to be a beauty queen. Lily hesitated, watching her friend turn to face the broad, emptying lawn. Someone whistled, and Shirley flushed with pleasure as she bobbed a curtsy. Next time it'll be you, a disembodied voice called out. Shirley giggled and glanced over her shoulder at Lily. Come on, come and see the view. Lily joined Shirley at the front of the stage just as a raft of firecrackers popped in the distance. The afternoon sun was behind them, casting their shadows across the ground, and as Shirley raised her hand to wave, queen-like, Lily watched her shadow stretch dark and thin over the grass. The ground was dotted with empty glass bottles and crumpled paper sacks, and the grass was flattened into irregular impressions of blankets and bodies. Lily! The voice came from the left, slightly behind the stage. She stepped back to get a better look and saw Aunt Judy coming up the path from the parking lot, waving at her. It's time to go, her aunt called. Lily waved in response and tugged at Shirley's arm. We should go. Just a minute, Shirley insisted. Lily retreated to the stairs and then turned back to see Shirley still standing at the edge, gazing out over the lawn. The back of her head was crowned in sunlight, casting her face in shadow. The profile of her nose and mouth was still sweet and girlish, but there was a modest swell to her breast and she had cinched in the waist of her dress to emphasise the slight curve of her hips. Lily wondered if this was what a Chinese girl should look like. August to September, 1954. That woman is so glamorous, Shirley said, nudging Lily to look. Two Caucasian women were seated across the restaurant at the table in the alcove. I wonder if she's going to a show. It was Friday night in the middle of the dinner rush and the Eastern Pearl was almost full, but Lily knew immediately who Shirley was talking about. The red paper lanterns hanging overhead shed a warm glow over the woman's blonde hair. It was pulled up in a twist and pinned with something glittering that matched the droplets in her ears. She wore a royal blue sleeveless satin dress with a scoop neckline which showed off her creamy skin and a matching blue bolero jacket hung on the back of her seat. Her companion was dressed much less glamorously. In fact, she wore trousers, grey flannel ones with a soft collared white blouse tucked in at the waist. 
Her hair was cut short in the current style, but on her it looked a little bit less gamine than mannish, which drew Lily's attention. There was something about her posture that felt subtly masculine. Lily couldn't put her finger on it, but it intrigued her. Lily realised she was staring and turned her attention back to the messy pile of napkins in front of her. Beside her, Shirley was moving rapidly through her own stack, transforming them into crisp swans. Lily had spent countless hours in the restaurant with Shirley since they were little, and over the years, she'd helped out with various small tasks as needed. Now, they were about to start their senior year in high school, but she still couldn't fold a napkin into a decent swan. She picked apart the one she had been working on and started over. On weekend nights, the Eastern Pearl mainly attracted tourists rather than local Chinese. Shirley said it was because one of the tour companies that brought people to Chinatown recommended it, which led to good business for the restaurant. Lily wondered if the women in the alcove were tourists, and she snuck another glance at them. The blonde was removing a silver cigarette case from her handbag, and her companion pulled a matchbook from her trouser pocket, leaning towards her as she struck a match. The blonde cupped her hand around the flame, drawing her friend's hand close to her face as she inhaled. Afterward, she sat back and offered the case to her friend, who removed a cigarette and lit it quickly, pulling the cigarette away from her mouth with her thumb and index finger. Smoke curled up into the red-lit ceiling. You're making a mess of those, Shirley said, glancing at Lily's poorly folded swans. Ma won't like them. Sorry, Lily said. I'm no good at this. Shirley shook her head, but she wasn't annoyed. This was the way it always was. I'll redo yours, Shirley said as she pulled Lily's napkins towards her. Lily sat there for a moment, watching Shirley shake out her messy swan, and then she reached for the Chronicle. She always enjoyed the theatre and film reviews and society columns with their photographs of women in furs and diamonds, and she wondered idly if the blonde had ever been in the paper. Maybe she's an heiress, Lily said to Shirley, the blonde over there. Shirley glanced across the restaurant again, briefly. An heiress to a gold mine? Yes, and her father recently died and left her with a fortune. But she's discovered that she has a half-brother who's fighting for the inheritance, so she hired a private investigator to seduce him. Lily shot Shirley a confused glance. What? Well, who do you think that other woman is? She looks like a female private investigator. Only a female PI would look like that. She was probably undercover. Lily was amused. Undercover where? Oh, who knows? They had played this game since they were children, inventing stories for strangers they saw in the restaurant, but Shirley tended to lose interest in their inventions before Lily did. Did you see the new ad my parents placed? Shirley asked, setting the latest napkin swan next to the others, all lined up like a funny little army. No. It's in there. I saw it earlier. Keep going. It's on the same page as the nightclub reviews. Lily obediently flicked the pages of the Chronicle to the After Night Falls column, which took up half of the page. The other half was filled with ads for restaurants and nightclubs. She skimmed them, hunting for the Eastern Pearl ad. Meet me at Julian's... Shachimilko? Oh my goodness. Why ca- Shachimilko? Okay. I need to brush up on my Spanish. Um, okay, back, back. Ooh, serving the best Mexican dinner. Um, old Chinese floor shows. Superb full-course Chinese or American dinner. Forbidden City. An illustration of four faces. Father, mother, son, and daughter with a bow in her hair. Advertised, good food. Good living includes dining at Grant's. There it is, Shirley said, pointing to an ad near the bottom of the page. A simple black triangle with the type in bold white red experienced the finest oriental cuisine at the Eastern Pearl, the best of Chinatown. But Lily's eye was drawn to a square box directly above the Eastern Pearl ad. It read, Tommy Andrews, male impersonator, world premiere. The Telegraph Club, 462 Broadway. It was a relatively large ad that included a photo of a person who looked like a handsome man with his hair slicked back, dressed in a tuxedo. Something went still inside Lily, as if her heart had taken a breath before it continued beating. It's not very big, but Pa thinks it will get noticed, Shirley said. What do you think? Oh, I... I'm sure it will get noticed, Lily said. People read that page, don't they? They always want to know what stars are in town. You're right, I'm sure people will see it. Shirley nodded, satisfied, and Lily forced herself to look up from the photo of Tommy Andrews. Across the restaurant, the two women were paying their bill. The woman in the blue dress took a wallet out of her handbag while the woman with the short hair unexpectedly pulled a billfold out of her trouser pocket. Their dollars tumbled limply onto the table. Beside the counter, the swinging door to the kitchen opened. Shirley's mother poked her head out and called, Shirley, come help me for a minute. Yes, ma, Shirley answered. She gave Lily an exasperated glance. Don't touch the napkins. I'll finish them when I get back. 
The bell attached to the restaurant's front door jingled and Lily saw the two women leaving. The short-haired woman held the door open for her friend and then they were gone and Lily was staring down at the ad for the Telegraph Club again. 462 Broadway must only be a few blocks from the Eastern Pearl. There were several nightclubs on Broadway just east of Columbus. Lily's parents always told her to avoid those blocks. They were for adults, they said, and for tourists. Not for good Chinese girls. Not for girls at all. Lily understood that she was supposed to think the clubs were tawdry, but every time she crossed Broadway, always during the day, of course, she'd look down the wide street towards the Bay Bridge in the distance, her gaze lingering on those closed doors, wondering what they hid from view. Her palms were a little damp. She glanced over her shoulder, but no one was behind the counter. She quickly tore out the page with the Telegraph Club ad, folded it into a neat, small square and tucked it deep into the pocket of her skirt. She closed the newspaper and slid it back into the pile of chronicles beneath the counter. As she straightened the stack, she realised her fingertips were smudged with newsprint. She ran to the bathroom and turned on the sink, scrubbing at her fingers with the harsh pink soap until no trace of ink remained. Oh, oh my God, like that. Oh, I mean, that whole thing of her body knowing that she has to get rid of that evidence before her brain does. I mean, oh. Yeah, yeah. Like there are a few places in the book where stuff like that happens, like where, where Lily has this compulsion that she doesn't understand or have the words for. Yeah, like I love the way that's like put across with like next to no explanation. Like there's, not that many words, but you you know what I'm saying. No, yeah. no, no. I do know what you're saying. Like it's like it's like the picture gets beamed directly into your brain or something. Oh my god! There's like just so much to talk about. This is so exciting. Which is precisely why we should take a break right now. Let's have a clear run at all the fangirling we want to do in in one go. Okay, spoken like a true culty, Sarah. I mean, you have to have your dinner at one o'clock, Clee, and then you can have a clear run at the day. The same logic applies here. What are you talking about? Like, why would anybody have their dinner at one o'clock, man? Okay, okay. So clearly. <laughs> We need to explain farm etiquette to these townies during this break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Jiglet for Life. Well, we're halfway through semester one, and we are fully into someone in the friend group is talking about me drama. I mean, I just thought it would help if I led the project and gave everyone information on what they should do. Everyone was just so freaked out about how much work it was, and I thought it'd help if I broke it down into smaller chunks. But, but now everyone's saying that I think I'm in charge, and I mean, I didn't mean for that to happen. Right, so like, I don't understand how me keeping going to the gym class we all said we'd join makes me obsessed with exercise. Like, why are they all saying that they're like worried about me? I didn't go to the cinema one time because they organized it on the same night that class is on. I mean, I was fine with it. Why aren't they? No, I mean, I really just wanted to help. I mean, I really thought that baking cupcakes for our study group was just a fun thing to do and that everyone was enjoying it. But why is everyone talking behind my back and not saying it to me? I mean, it's a ton of work for me to do this. If they don't want me to, they could just say, why bitch about me when I'm not there? Oh, man, um... I mean, obviously, we're going to get into judgment being more about the other person than you. Uh, If folks were okay with themselves, they'd be respectful enough to bring it up to you directly. But uh, seeing as how we live among cowards, let's let's get into it. You gotta tune in to Doi Thursdays. Girls, I'm so glad that we can have like proper goals at each other. No, I'm like, I mean, I'm like genuinely a little bit emotional right now. Like, I don't know if I could handle like worrying about whether you guys are talking behind my back about me. Like on top of everything else that's going on right now. It's, it's really cool that that's not something we do. Not agreed, man. It's pretty cool. Like I never thought that I'd feel... I don't know, like a friendship was, I don't know, strong enough to handle me saying whatever 
I'm feeling. Or how much you've sweated that day. <laughs> or how much I've sweated that day. <laughs> <laughs> we fully accept your sweaty, sweaty ass, Sarah. And you guys, what is that if not true friendship? <laughs> <laughs> but like, but the thing is, I mean, we get so much of kind of the opposite of that in the book. Yeah, like talk about having to dance around the truth constantly man okay okay, so like before we get into that and you guys we will get into it like so much goes on in this book and we don't want to gloss over anything no like that genuinely is the thing like so much happens but it's not like the book feels like crammed full of detail or anything yeah yeah it wasn't a case that like you had to hold loads of details in your head together at once or anything like it's really not that kind of book exactly like it's meant that there is like so much plot and subtext in there without the book feeling like in any way overwhelming to read so like uh, to supply like any kind of detail about what it is we're going to be talking about like the plot is pretty much girl meets girl girl likes girl girl's friends are desperate for girl to be outwardly normal because culturally that's what you have to do as children of Chinese immigrants in San Francisco in the 1950s But then on top of that, McCarthyism is just beginning to gather momentum and the communist purges in the US, not in small part brought on by the shakeup the Cuban Missile Crisis caused within the US government. They're now entirely paranoid about possible communist threats within their own country. They start examining all non-white groups, but especially Asian Americans, given the the rise of the uh, Communist Party in China for ties to communist organizations, anyone found, in quotes, guilty, would be immediately deported. So so we've got Lily finding that she's falling for another girl while desperately trying to be a good Chinese girl for, for cultural reasons. But then we see that her falling in love like this could be putting her family at risk of deportation. And then all the while this is going on, we're also getting glimpses of what it was like for her parents when they first came to the US so that we can compare that to, to Lily's experience in the 50s. And like, there's just so much in here, you guys. No, like seriously. And like, it really is such a tightrope that Lily's trying to walk like I really liked how confused she is about how she's supposed to act and all the like mixed messages there like totally aside from the fact that she's like figuring out her sexuality say say more about that (laughs) Well, well like we sort of get a view of like how weird and contradictory it is to be a woman but also be a Chinese American woman at the time the book is set. Like there's this huge double standard over what's acceptable and what's desirable. Like the beauty pageant at the beginning that that we heard earlier, like the girl that wins, like everyone is really sexually interested in, but that's actually wrong in that she's too sexual and isn't indicative of what good Chinese beauty, I'm doing a lot of air quotes at my mic right now, is. Like even Shirley has those comments about you know the other girl in in the pageant being too flashy thinking she's perfect like it's it's insane yeah and like and we have that quick image earlier of that girl in the black bathing suit being human and in pain in her shoes which was kind of affecting in in a way that I don't really understand like something there's something there about pain and beauty happening at the same time but it's not even for anything like whatever she's showing and arousing in others is something that they're okay with watching in private but not with admitting to or or condoning in public right like I was thinking about the fact that we see Lily sort of shrinking away from those girls like she feels a sort of like wrongness in watching them like is that not cause she gay though and she like shouldn't be looking at them cause she fancies them and all Chloe there is an entire field of hetero men 20 and 30 years older than those girls drooling all over them Oh shit, yeah. (laughs) Like what I'm saying is that like I think at that age when you're like confronted with sexuality like that, like it's you feel okay to be curious about it in private, but in public or with other people, it feels I don't know, like really kind of intrusive or something. What do you mean? Like oh, Oh man, this is embarrassing. Um when when I got like the talk from my folks I was like really upset well like in fairness now it wasn't really the talk um it was it was a book on my bed when I came home from school um 
and my folks yeah had said it to me that like oh I was growing up and there were things I needed to know and I just I don't know I got so upset about this growing up thing there was there was this horrible feeling I had that there was this gross world out there that you're like compelled to belong to and and horrible things happen there and it'd just be so much nicer if I could stay where I was and just play with my Bratz dolls oh hi it is hilarious that you had Bratz dolls. Like maybe you had to play with dolls low-key dressed as prostitutes in order to become a feminist in the first place. I will admit that trying on a sparkly corset dress that I'm not sure Dunn stores should have been selling in the first place <laughs> may have been the moment I decided we should all be feminists. <laughs> but like, no, but like it's kind of crazy though. That like, like when you're little, you kind of play at misogyny and sexualize women in the toys you play with. But like as soon as that becomes in any way real, it's like, I don't know, really scary or something. Girls, this is all a bit mad. Like were you not all crazy to know about what sex was and all? Like, like is everyone not all real curious then keyed up about it once you hit puberty? Like all them hormones pinging off each other. <laughs> that sounds so aggressive, man. Is that aggressive feeling, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> Like no, I would have I would have been a lot more like what you're saying, Katie. Like like say you were watching like movies with friends or something and there were like sex scenes or whatever and like that's fine, but like there'd be that one friend there that would like know loads about sex and maybe has seen porn or whatever and like they'd be really like I don't know, like sort of like gross and like mechanical about how they talk about it or something yeah like kind of it's yeah mechanical is an interesting word like 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 it's not about feelings or anything it's about what you do like using gross porn search words for stuff that they'd be talking about and it just I don't know it just it always felt really like intrusive or something like I didn't ask to know that and now I know that there are people that like expect that kind of interaction from me and like maybe the sex part of love only includes that and that's like really scary does that mean that I like won't be able to fall in love like oh my god Katie no like genuinely I totally agree with that like have you ever seen something online by accident and then it like actually becomes a proper intrusive thought well I mean Twitter exists so no but like here how exactly did Twitter become like a hardcore pornography site when did that happen I genuinely don't know man like this just like it's just so explicit like you're just scrolling down you know something you know just a tweet thread about I don't know someone you want to have a bitch about and then suddenly there's somebody there doing something that I was not prepared for and it's no I do I hear you that that yeah I get how that would be terrifying here, are we going to get branded as, like, real sex negative now? Oh, my God. Oh, my... Calm down, Katie. No, we're not. <laughs> like, we're talking about our own personal reactions. At no time have we said that hardcore pornography should not be available on Twitter in response to a thread that's about something else entirely and you're 100% not prepared for Just it. so much semen. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and we're not, we're not being prescriptive and insisting that things change to suit our comfort level. We are simply acknowledging our discomfort right now. Jesus, Sarah, that therapist be earning her wages. She knows her shit. Well, like, <laughs> well, like the thing is, we do have like both sides of the whole like sexual awakening puberty thing in the book, though. Go on. Well, like, yeah, Lily clearly finds the whole thing with the girls at the pageant at the beginning real challenging and like kind of scary. But like then, yeah, when she sees the ad in a newspaper for Tommy Andrews show, like. That's the kind of real hard to ignore curiosity I was talking about. Like, you know that feeling you get in your stomach where you're like, I genuinely can't think about anything else right now. This is something I have to do, even if I don't understand it or if it might be like embarrassing or weird. Okay, that genuinely sounds like something a nice guy, TM, says to himself before he follows a girl he doesn't know off the bus. Well, I mean, why did she sit in front of him after washing her hair with that real nice shampoo, Katie? Why would she send out those signals, yeah? Oh, dude, it's too real. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, no, no, I do, in fairness, I do get what you're talking about. Like, yeah, when Lily finds that Mills and Boone type sexy novel in The Chemist about the two women that, like, have the sexual relationship. Oh, here. 
what I wouldn't have given for a book like that. Uh, Clena. What? What? I think she's trying to say Orange is the New Black fan fiction, but just with her eyes. Okay, why is Saoirse able to <laughs> interpret stare messages that are intended for you and you alone, Clean and Debris, do better? <laughs> but yes, yes, you do have that book. It was set in C block, but you had it. <sighs> All right, I, uh, I'm never drinking tequila again. No! Tequila is class. You can't get rid of her. Tequila. Jesus. Like, should we just move on? What? What were we talking about? Sapphic sex novels. Oh shite! <laughs> I went up my nose, girl. <laughs> oh man! I mean, it is really interesting, though, you guys, because like, aside from like the whole yeah biological need or whatever to know these things like it also sort of gives lily a way to i don't know put words and images on her feelings having that book like it's like she knows yeah she does know it's wrong obviously like she knows enough to hide it and that for everyone's good she needs to keep all that not what you see in your friends and family stuff hidden because she gets that there's a reason why she doesn't see women in relationships around, you know? Yeah, I thought her relationship with Shirley was like a really interesting window into that. Yes, exactly. Like Shirley's incredibly sexist, but like that's just her acting in the way she's been brought up to act. Like it's her being a dutiful and well-behaved daughter, you know? Ah, here. Now, there's a bit more to it than that. Like Shirley full on has a touch of the Kardashians. Like she loves getting dolled up and like being the girliest alpha out there. Okay, well, I mean, yes, that is true. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, like seeing her on stage after the beauty pageant, kind of playing at being a contestant in the, you know, prettiest sex object competition. Like that's kind of rough, but like the two things... Do go together, like to your point, Sersh, we see her in school, like default to male leadership all the time, like assuming that Will is going to be the leader in their group project, not understanding then when Lily turns down Will's advantage, she's actively getting angry at her for not acknowledging the increase in status that would come with her being a girl that's been chosen by a guy. Yeah, I thought that the dance was a really interesting way to sort of play out all of that and sort of show up that Lily's life is kind of forcing her to choose between the way things have always been and these new feelings that are coming up for her. It really is an either or situation. Oh, now that is interesting. Yeah, like it feels like this big decision point at the dance, like the way, you know, she sort of lived her life following the rules, but not actually participating in the game. Like, She's present at the dance, but she's sort of sidelined doing the drinks table. But she's happy with that because it's not like she's enjoying what's going on. You know, this is comfortable. Shirley's directing everything. Everyone pairs off at the dance with who it's okay for them to pair off with. Everything is working the way it's supposed to work. But then Kat shows up and they go outside, her and Lily, to talk. And like the fog has rolled in, which is just this great symbol, you know, for, for everything that's going on with Lily right now. And like, and Shirley's really angry at Lily and eager for her to dance with their mate Will, you know, to, to get normal, to stop talking to white girls they don't know that well. You know, stop talking about working at NASA, get married to a man, have babies, be normal, then everything will be okay. That's all stuff we know works. You know, there'll be there'll be no danger if Lily just plays by the rules. But she can't. She's about to head out into that murky fog with Kat instead, just the two of them with no idea about where they're going or what's going to happen. Okay, so for any of this to make sense, we need to introduce Kat. Oh, you mean gay 1950s Katie? What? Kat did have some slight Katie energy, Kay. Yeah, if I'm being honest, I did hear a lot of her lines in your voice, Katie. Okay, why is the first time I'm hearing about this when we're on air? <laughs> like, I'm not absolutely sure that this constitutes bullying. Yeah, but it has like a flavour, right? A sniff of bully, yeah. But like, in fairness, <laughs> Kat is, is pretty Murphy-esque. Okay. Like, down to the fucking understanding family and all. <laughs> like, I mean, do you think your mom would have a problem if you were gay? Like, no, like not a 
problem. But like, say, like right now, like anytime my whole mustache situation gets out of control, <laughs> me ma has like some less than PC remarks that she'd make. For example, uh, no, 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 no. She says stuff what like you can't say out loud or at all in your mind or nothing, like never. Oh, like words we don't use. Yeah, yeah. It's a problem. Gen X, man. I know. Like, for real, like, what was so great about being able to go outside for hours when you were seven, ma? Who cares? You know, like, it's a feeble attempt to, like, justify a pre-Pokemon existence. Like, they are fooling no one. Like, just when I think we're on the same page, you and me, you have to bring up fucking Pokemon. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Well, yes, Kat Kat is a strong, cool Katie Murphy type that has a distinct frisson with uh, Lily. So romantic, you guys. That whole, like, does she like me? Are we even allowed to like each other? Oh, my God, what if I try it on with her and she calls the police? Like, it's so compelling. Yeah, like, this is the thing. You can see it at the start that Lily is terrified to make a move first because of like how would she even know whether Kat is capable of liking her back but then also terrified of what it would mean to enter into a relationship with her not but like girls when they were meeting and like nearly getting caught like I swear I was talking out loud alone in a room to the book like it was a bad movie <laughs> they're behind you <laughs> no like seriously I was so worried about them no but like it is crazy like that the stakes are that high yeah and like even more so for Lily as a Chinese American at the time when people are being deported for being the slightest bit different like like there are a couple of instances where you're there looking at the book thinking like Kat you have no idea how serious the level of risk like you're introducing here like the level of risk coming into Lily's life by taking her to the telegraph club it's insane no, like I know like the level of racism and ignorance like like there's that newspaper article about Chinese movies where it's all oh you've no doubt heard that heroes and heroines in Chinese pictures do not kiss as there's no such thing as a kiss in Chinese behaviour the author explained this is it's yeah it's a newspaper article Rather slyly, instead of kissing, Chinese women make love with their hands by kissing with their fingertips instead of their lips. Like, that was just bananas. It was was so strange. No, but like, like they're talking about hand jobs, innit? Oh my God, why? Why do you, why? What? I'm here to call out racism, girls, and if you are all too squeamish to do that, I suggest you live. Yeah? Okay, all right. <laughs> Sit down, Katie. <laughs> Fine. Like, yeah, it was pretty wild, though, the hoops that, like, Lily's parents had to jump through to, like, make their lives work in America. I know. Like, I mean, her mom comes over as a college student. Her dad is a medical doctor. Yeah, and the idea that they could have been, like, thrown out of the country just on the basis of anti-communist paranoia, it's just stomach churning like just actually I wanted to give a bit more context on that like the term McCarthyism we we mentioned it earlier it gets mentioned in any conversations like this and it refers to like pretty out there paranoia first displayed by Republican Senator Joseph McCarthy in the 1950s where he was sure full sure that communists had like infiltrated the government and were feeding propaganda like through schools and colleges and the film industry and like then when the People's Republic of China entered the Korean War on the side of North Korea Chinese American communities were like front and center for all this like racist hate and get out of my country crap that was like completely absent when China was fighting alongside the US during World War II. That article you sent me on the PBS website about that was amazing. Oh thanks. Um, Yeah we'll make sure that it's in the description for the episode so like you guys can all access but it's on pbs.org if you just like can't wait and need to search for it right now. It's part of their Asian American and Pacific Island experience feature collection and the article is called numbed with fear chinese americans and mccarthyism what i thought was really interesting though in in the book though was that like the same level of like misinformation and like propaganda that's being spread about the asian american community like the same level of nonsense is being spread about the lgbtq community 
But the thing is, the folks in Lily's family are so anxious to ensure their own safety that they can't like see that link or question the coverage of of gay culture at all. Yeah, I actually have that excerpt from where there's that newspaper article about um, yeah what goes on in the club. Um, yeah, Inspector Harrington related a sordid story of abominable acts that are in some cases unprintable, involving high school girls raging in age from 16 to 18, many from good families. There was a pattern, Inspector Harrington explained. Girls would go to the Telegraph Club to see a nightclub act, and once they were there, they would be plied with alcohol and invited for dates by older women who were sexual deviants. Once a girl was ensnared, she would recruit her friends from school. At first, the girls would think it was a lark, Inspector Harrington said, but soon some of the girls started to wear mannish clothing and were known as butches, emulating the older women who had seduced them. But like, doesn't that sound like just like how like loads of people talk about trans issues now? Yeah, it does. Oh my God. Oh my God, Katie, did you not notice that? No, no, no. I can't believe that I won't I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just that good. That's all it is. Oh, no, no, no. Seriously, though. No, it is. It is truly, truly heartbreaking how Lily's mother, like, can't accept Lily, though, because she, like, seems to believe that the fact of her being gay, like materially changes who she is or something yeah yeah i've got that actually that bit here yeah you you're a good chinese girl lily i don't understand what would make you go somewhere like this her mother looks so confused girls love their friends and mistake that for the love they'll have for their husbands it only becomes an illness when you won't let go of the idea there are no homosexuals in this family. Like, oh, mine. It's just like, so horrible. No, but like, do you know though? Like, wasn't a class that Lily wasn't like, like it wasn't misery porn, you know? Yes, yes. Like, like Lily's not out there being like a homeless prostitute within two days after she comes out. Like, like that probably happens. And like, we've read books where life hits the main character that hard. Hashtag Stone Butch Blues. <laughs> but like, <laughs> like the fact that Lily like has the chance available to her to go to other people, like... I don't know, it kind of weirdly makes it easier to access and, like, easier to feel what she feels. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like, it's like Lily freaks out in, like, real time with us, but she does what she needs to do to survive. And it's it's really hard, but it's not, like, crazy life-threatening or anything. And, and because it doesn't go to that misery porn place, like you're saying, Chloe, you can kind of empathize better because you can put yourself in the crazy upside down version of her life like easier than if she was suddenly yeah completely like impoverished to a level that you can't even understand yeah yeah I I really think the style of writing had a lot to do with that too though like the way that there's no time wasted on like tons of world building or tons of character backstory um but there'd be like really well chosen details to show what it feels like to be somewhere or or like key lines that someone says that lets you know pretty much straight away who they are. Yeah, like Tommy, doesn't she like call Lily a China doll or something like that? Right, and it just immediately sets her up as this like Dean Martin of the butch gay scene, like straight out of the gate. Oh my God, that is exactly how I saw her too. Ex- that is what I'm saying. And like on top of that, like the sense of place is incredible yeah like you really feel like you can see everything no 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 like um what i'm saying is like it's not something that really struck me in any of the other books we've done so far but in reading this book like having been to san francisco and like knowing exactly where lily's talking about and being able to see the real places she's walking down like for me it just made such a difference so like those of us here what don't have mommies and daddies that can send us to San Francisco for a month after our leaving cert like we didn't have as important an experience with this book is that what you're saying right now <gasps> oh my god clearly no no like I'm not piling on or anything Sersha but like I kind of hate when people 
talk like that like so many people this year are all talk about how oh my god finally they get to do their j1 summer visa to the u.s um and like we can't all do that fuck those bitches cleaner like people being like so where are you going on your j1 like it's something that's definitely going to happen for everybody fucking pisses me off man oh my god i'm like that is not what i meant you guys yeah but like you kind of saying that people what have the chance to go to san francisco are going to enjoy this book more than someone what hasn't had that chance no but like isn't isn't that kind of like just saying like someone that gets to like fly first class gets to enjoy flying more than someone that doesn't okay you were literally just saying at lunchtime today that billionaires should be taxed off the face of the earth what is wrong with you (laughs) i did say that that is true (laughs) it really is it's pretty on brand for me (laughs) but like clearly like I, i guess i did say something super privileged there but like should i like it is true like should i should i not say it i don't fucking know <laughs> i never change i don't think i could if i wanted to <laughs> well no like like if you're excluding people over something yet yeah, like like people go and have a reaction to that and like they're entitled to yeah yeah but like i would never intentionally exclude you from anything Claire. yeah no and i know that but like it's just it's worth being aware of the fact that like people in general have these like one-up things they say like oh you've never been skiing oh like where are you gonna go when you go traveling for three months after college like why haven't you taken any driving lessons yet like you don't know what's going on with me tiffany don't make me defend how my life works fuck off <laughs> so, so on that that knows <laughs> no we are going to wrap this up but like we no genuinely we cannot recommend this book enough like it is so well researched so well portrayed and i mean the love story is just so romantic it is actually hard to process how romantic this story is genuinely oh, it's so gorgeous and there is one other thing we wanted to bring up there's a note from the author at the end that lets us know that there were real historical inspirations for the book which is pretty cool so we just we wanted to share it here um lily whose story was inspired by two books in rise of the rocket girls the women who propelled us from missiles to the moon to mars natalia holt introduces us to the female computers who worked at the jet propulsion lab starting in the 1940s including chinese american immigrant helen ling who went on to become an engineer at jpl and hired many more women to work there in wide open town a history of queer san Francisco to 1965, Nan Amelia Boyd notes almost casually, San Francisco native Merle Wu remembers that lesbians of colour often frequented Forbidden City nightclub in the 1950s. Both books gave me glimpses into Asian American history that has too often fallen through the cracks and I wondered what life might have been like for a queer Asian American girl who dreamed of rocket ships growing up in the 1950s. Yeah, I loved that idea of looking at a person that's just living their life normally, then that's caught up in this set of historical circumstances that just turns everything upside down. Yeah, like it's super easy to think of large groups of people or populations during different times in history as these like sanitized sets of numbers on a page engaging with what a person would have felt with all of that going on is like it's just a really important thing i think yeah it's sort of like too big to do that with like everyone in the world that's like going through something that's like nothing to do with them and everything to do with like where and when they were born but like you kind of have to do it every once in a while so that you don't forget like that the only difference between almost everybody is just where and when they were born is is yeah you don't check in with that you know your chances for just doing evil regularly kind of kind of goes up a little bit don't it yeah general evil doing should be avoided (laughs) right so so to get access to these incredibly deep insights while swooning over a crazily romantic and compelling love story we urge you to pick up your copy of last night at the telegraph club at any reputable bookseller and um, you can find out more about melinda low at melindalow.com we would particularly like to recommend the spotify playlist on there which accompanies last night at the telegraph club containing music included in and alluded to in the book oh. um we will be back in a few weeks with our very special holiday edition yes. looking at kylie dunbar's we love you Kylie Um, Christmas at the Borrow Bookshop we are 
so excited to get back to the folks at the Borrow Bookshop and fully encourage you to look at episode one from our last series, The Borrow Bookshop Holiday, if you want to get a taste of what's on the way. Woo! Um, in the meantime, <laughs> if you can please, please, please like and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, you'll hear about our next episodes and also help more folks hear about us and that would just be super awesome. Um, plus, um, we say this at the end of every show, but Elsie does this totally solo. She's our mm-hmm. writer, producer, actor does all of our voices we're not real um and she doesn't get paid for it you know such is the extent of her love of books and talking about them so if you were on for leaving a review and a rating on said podcast platform of choice that would really help the show and be so sound of you it is not even funny um, you can it's find true, us on instagram at at chiclet for life on twitter at at chiclet for life one and on tiktok at at chiclet for life if you want to follow, you can find videos, more discussions, sometimes an insight into the girls' nonsensical group chat. It's true. Um, it's true. We yeah. will see you guys as soon as we can get through this beauty of a book. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay hydrated, buy that moisturizer. You deserve it. And remember, have some fun, people. We will see you guys later. Peace. Oh, how you getting better at that outro right there, Sarah? I mean, seriously. Oh, you charmers. What's that? You're late for college again because you slipped it out and now you're gonna fail your attendance requirements for Physics 2A? Well, here at Two Tours, One Chain, we have you covered with our new Two Blokes, One Wake Up service. Dean and John out here will head out to your gap every morning with a Bluetooth speaker and a recorded message to get you out the scratcher and into your favourite hoodie ready to take on the day. It took you too long to find your keys because your roommate told you before you to hide them in Kankatomi Plaza, your handmade beer can replica of the Diehard set? No hassle. The lads are on hand to give you a crossbar to campus. Don't be downloading paid apps you're going to turn off anyway. Give us that money instead and watch your grades, like, go up and off. Call today. Two tours, one, two blokes, one wake up service. John, we need a new name for this thing. Air prices cannot be bet. Two tours, one chain wake up service. Shit.